there is something breathtaking and awe-inspiring about a nighttime sky filled with stars. In the late 1950s and 60s, when I was growing up in Beeville, Texas, a town of about 15,000 people back then, it was possible to look up into the night sky and see a brilliant star field barely diminished by the lights from town. I can recall on more than one occasion taking our portable record player out into the garage, plugging it in, putting on the turntable, the soundtrack from 2001, A Space Odyssey. These are the people who remember what a turntable is. And I would crank up the volume on that portable stereo. I would then open the garage doors, walk out under the night sky, lie down on the driveway, and gaze up at the stars, looking for familiar constellations and sights like the North Star. Each and every time, I was overcome with feelings of awe at the utter mystery of so many points of light penetrating the vast darkness of space. And I between light to make a connection between light and God. I knew something of the creation story from Genesis 1. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God made the two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. So when I gazed upon those stars, I felt close to God. Today, I understand that nuclear fusion causes stars to shine. But I'm still in awe. Get this. When we have eight light photons Earth, we're actually seeing photons that left the surface of that star eight years ago and traveled through space unobstructed 
until they met our eyes. This to me is astounding. The physics of it all don't diminish the wonder of it all. So stargazing still speaks to me of God. And as we've just heard, stargazing is an important aspect of the gospel reading, and appropriately so. We're entering the season of epiphany, and the word epiphany literally means showing or shining forth. Stargazing involves attentiveness to a particular kind of shining forth. The kind of shining forth we see in stars. But in Matthew's story, set after the birth of Jesus in the reign of Herod the Great, the stargazers are a scandalous bunch. At least that's how they would have been perceived by many of the Jewish Christians who were among the original recipients of Matthew's gospel. After all, these stargazers in Matthew's story are foreigners from the East. They're Gentiles, and they're more than stargazers they're astrologers. Scholars tell us that many Jewish Christians would have looked upon these astrologers with disdain. Fortune tellers. Astrology was not an accepted Jewish practice. From the East would not have been perceived as wise at all. And yet, these foreign-born, non-Jewish fools from the East who spend their time trying to read the stars are the very ones in Matthew's story who see the light. They're the ones who seek the Christ. They're the ones who risk the journey. They're the ones who cross the boundaries of nation, culture, and religion. They're the ones who are overjoyed at seeing the star. And they're the ones who find the Christ. They're the ones who worship the Christ. They're the ones who offer valuable gifts to the one revealed by this light. On the other hand, King Herod doesn't see 
the light. He only sees an ominous threat to his power that needs to be eliminated. The biblical scholars in Jerusalem don't see the light. They're paralyzed by Herod's paranoia. They know his brutality well. All of this is a foreshadowing of a point Matthew highlights later in his gospel. In Matthew eleven twenty five, Jesus prays this prayer. Father, creator of heaven and earth, to you I offer praise for what you have hidden from the learned and the clever you have revealed to the youngest child. To the church of Matthew's day, made up of both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, this story of the stargazing astrologers from the East was offered as a bold affirmation of the inclusiveness of the gospel. But this inclusiveness doesn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It doesn't just dismiss the old to make room for the new. Instead, Matthew both expands the gospel's reach to include those formerly excluded while also affirming the value of the Jewish tradition out of which Christianity points us in this direction. Even though the biblical scholars in Jerusalem are not about to join the astrologers in their pilgrimage to find the Christ child, they do manage to discern a word from the prophet Micah that augments what the astrologers have discerned from the stars. Indeed, the prophet's message gives direction to the astrologers' search. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, since from you will come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. It's here in the story that the stargazers meet the scriptures and we're taught how to read the signs that then make us susceptible to divine epiphanies. According to Dr. John Philip Newell, Celtic Christianity has learned this lesson well. In the Celtic, from the two books of God, the big book and the little book. The big book refers to everything that has been spoken into being. The universe, he writes, is like a sacred vibration a living movement of the stars, the flowing of the seasons, the dreams of the night, 
But then he notes, there is also the little book, the book of Scripture, in which we listen for God speaking to us through those who have gone before us, our mothers and fathers in the faith. Their experiences of God, their mistakes and failings, as well as their hopes and wisdom, are given to us so that we too can learn the way in human history. And what we are invited to do is listen. Listen to these two books in stereo, to the big book and the little book. If we listen only to the little book and ignore the big book, we may miss the vastness of the utterance, God in the universe. And if we listen only to the big book, the expression of God in the universe, and ignore the little book, the word of God in scripture, we may miss the intimacy of the voice. God speaking in the secret places of the human heart. The challenge is to listen in both books and not just individually but in community faithfully wrestling together to more deeply know the sound of in our lives and our relationships but this is not easily done is it Matthew's story reminds us there are powerful Herods in the world who get in the way. There are deeply entrenched interests to contend with. And perhaps there's a little bit of Herod's fearful resistance in each one of us that blinds us to the light of God shining forth from whatever source, be it the big book or the little book. Dr. Newell describes our resistance in this way. Tragically, we have often been given the impression that we have all the light we need within our nation, within our religious tradition, within our cultural inheritance. But our gospel story points to something radically different, that there is light beyond our inherited boundaries and that we need this light that it is given to complete the light we have received, not to compete with the light we have received. We need one another as nations and religions as much as the species of the earth need one another. 
to be whole. Dear friends, we are here today because of a gospel affirmation proclaimed in a story about stargazing astrologers from the East. This is the good news. Divine light shines forth in Jesus, the Christ. But this is not so much about the appearance of God. This is about the transparency of God. Dr. Newell says it beautifully. The divine light that shines in the child is not a foreign light to the cosmos. It is the light at the heart of all life. It is the light from which all things come. If somehow this light were extracted from the universe, everything, everything would cease to exist. So this is a gospel story about the light at the heart of everything. The light at the heart of you. The light at the heart of me. Look around you now at the people next to you. The life forms growing from the earth. At the radiance of the sun or the whiteness of the moon. Gaze even upon the stars. And then look also in your own heart. There is the light. Maybe it is deeply hidden under confusion or falseness. But it is there, waiting to come forth anew. In the Christ child, this light shines. He is our epiphany, our showing. In him, we see the light of life. Against a connection between stargazing and God, a long time ago, while sprawled out on a driveway in Beeville, Texas, peering up into a night sky with the soundtrack of 2001, A Space Odyssey, playing in the background. I can also honestly say that I'm spending a lifetime learning to see more clearly the light at the heart of you and the light at the heart of me. For the light at the heart of everything, I say thanks be to God.
So I offer for us this morning, let's pray. May the angels of light glisten for us this day. May the sparks of God's beauty dance in the eyes of those we love. May the universe be on fire with presence for us this day. May the new sun's rising grace us with gratitude. Let earth's greenness shine and its waters writhe with spirit. Let heaven's wind stir the soil of our soul and fresh awakenings arise within us. May the mighty angels of light glisten in all things this day. May they summon us to reverence life. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, amen.